Folks, one of two things is true. Either Representative Paul Ryan doesn't want the job of Speaker of the House, or he's got a pretty inflated opinion of himself. It's difficult to explain Ryan's bizarre set of demands any other way. He issued them on Tuesday night, and he said that we all had to basically fulfill all of his dreams in order for him to run for Speaker. He says that he'll only run if he has a pre-commitment from every single faction within the Republican caucus for his speakership, including the Freedom Caucus. Those are the people who are really instrumental in getting rid of John Boehner and getting rid of Kevin McCarthy. All that's kind of fine and dandy. Everybody running, of course, would love to have unanimous support. Ryan also says he wants to return to what is called regular order. That's where all bills move through committee before they're introduced on the floor. He wants separate votes on appropriations bills as opposed to governing through continuing resolution, which, of course, is all fine, too. And then we get into dicey territory. Then we get into dicey territory. And here's the dicey territory. The dicey territory is that Paul Ryan wants a rule removed that would actually allow Republicans to bring what is essentially a vote of no confidence against him if he does something wrong. So he wants them to basically swear loyalty to him before he even starts as Speaker of the House and say they'll never get rid of him. Now, the job of the Speaker of the House is to unify members of Congress behind conservatism. It's not the job of conservatives to unify the Speaker of the House in blanket fashion. But that's not stopping Paul Ryan. That's not stopping Paul Ryan in any real way, which brings up the question as to why exactly Republicans should back this play. Now, I understand there are a lot of people who resonate to Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan. They think that Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan are the be-all, end-all. They're just the most wonderful people who ever lived, and we need a young, vibrant leader like Paul Ryan. Never mind that Paul Ryan backed TARP and was a moving force behind the Trouble Assets Relief Program. Never mind that he backed the auto bailouts. Never mind that he backed amnesty. The only thing that really matters is we must have Paul Ryan. But I don't care whether you like him or whether you don't. The only real question is why anybody should be trusted with that kind of power, especially because Ryan... He doesn't even want to campaign. He doesn't want to go out and campaign. He wants weekends off, which is fine. But what he really wants is, is the ability to do whatever he wants here. Conservatives shouldn't grant Ryan that sort of power simply in order to make him the speaker. Signing a procedural blank check to anybody, no matter how trustworthy they appear, that's a recipe for disaster. And holding the speaker accountable should be an unbreakable rule for conservatives. Again, folks, the speaker of the House, his job is to be conservative and unify members of Congress behind that. It's not the job of all the Republicans to get behind the Speaker no matter what he does. Signing blank checks to politicians based on promises that they'll do good stuff, that's a Democrat thing. Doing it for Paul Ryan makes no sense. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay. tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So Paul Ryan, of course, as we just mentioned, Paul Ryan is attempting to run for Speaker of the House, but only if he has all of his conditions met because he is, of course, the great dictator and everyone must meet his demands. I don't love Paul Ryan enough that I think that this is a worthwhile endeavor. Here's Paul Ryan last night speaking at the, at the Congress, talking about what he needs in order to run for Speaker of the House. Tonight I shared with my colleagues what I think it will take to have a unified conference and for the next Speaker to be successful. Basically, I made a few requests for what I think is necessary, and I asked my colleagues uh, to hear back from them by the end of the week. First, we need to move from an opposition party to being a proposition party. Because we think the nation is on the wrong path, we have a duty to show the right one. Our next speaker has to be a visionary one. We, as a conference, should unify now and not after a divisive speaker election. And if I can truly be a unifying figure, then I will gladly serve. I consider to do this with reluctance. 
my greatest worry is the consequence of not stepping up, of someday having my own kids ask me, when the stakes were so high, why didn't you do all you could do? Why didn't you stand and fight for my future when you had a chance to do so? None of us wants to hear that question. And none of us should ever have to. Okay, all that is well and good. This is the great communicator that the Republican Party must throw out all the rules in order to make Speaker of the House. Now, I'm sorry, but your opposition proposition rhyme there doesn't work, Paul. And I, I don't know who tells these people that they have to come up with third grade rhymes in order to make something memorable. But it's just a, it's a giant fail. We don't, we're not going to be an opposition property, party. We're going to be a proposition party. You know, Bill Clinton is a proposition guy, not an opposition guy. But in any case, it's, it, it is kind of astonishing that Republicans are actually considering this sort of thing, especially because we actually have a history of having speakers who are pretty good. Not John Boehner, but Newt Gingrich. You know why Newt Gingrich was a unifying fit, figure? It's because Newt Gingrich started off based on the idea that he was coming in with a contract that he was going to push forward. And everybody was elected on that same basis. Everybody had the same agenda. Everybody was on the same page beforehand. Why Paul Ryan doesn't do that? Why didn't he come back and say, okay, here are our top five priorities. We're all going to be on the same page on this. Here's what we're willing to do for those top five priorities. If you want those to be the priorities that we pursue in this fashion, then vote for me. That would be a better proposition than what he's proposing here, which is give me unlimited power and get rid of any possibility of getting rid of me if I do something that you don't like. Now, supposedly Paul Ryan has already ruled amnesty off the table. You, know, you tell me if you trust him or not with that, considering that every two years... The Republican Party brings back some zombie version of comprehensive immigration reform. I don't trust him enough to, to throw the keys to the car at him and just say that he can drive wherever he wants. Okay, meanwhile, there's a poll out that is completely bewildering to all of the members of the Republican establishment, the same people who love Paul Ryan. There's a latest ABC News Washington Post poll about the presidential race. It shows that Donald Trump is up to 32% nationally, so he's got he's got one-third of the Republican Party ready to vote for him. The next highest competitor is Ben Carson at 22%. 42% of Republicans expect Trump to win the nomination at this point. Nearly half of Republicans think that, that Trump is going to win the nomination. That's far more than anybody who thinks anyone else is going to win the nomination at this point. But the really fascinating statistics are these, okay? 43% of Republicans think Trump has the best shot at beating Hillary Clinton. Next in line, Ben Carson at 16%. So in other words, a huge plurality of Republicans think that Donald Trump has the best shot at beating Hillary Clinton. And why exactly would they think that? Well, the rest of the poll sort of tells the story. 47% of Republicans say that Trump is the strongest leader. 32% say he's closest to them on the issues. 29% say he best understands the problems of people like you. Trump is actually second in personality to Ben Carson in this poll. The next contender for strongest leader is Jeb Bush at 12%. So there's a 30-point drop-off in terms of strongest leader. And when it comes to empathy, Trump still clocks the competition. The next closest candidate is Ben Carson, who's at 19, Trump is at 29. So the question is, why do people actually think that Trump is empathetic, that he cares about people like them? And this is a big measure for presidential races. Remember, in 2012, Mitt Romney won a lot of exit polls, but the one that he lost, he got creamed on it, was, does he care about people like you? Barack Obama won that exit poll 82 to 18. 80, a majority of Republicans thought Barack Obama cared more about people like them. So that's a, that's a big factor in whether somebody wins the presidency. Trump, apparently, people see him as empathetic. Why? Well, it's not because he's a super empathetic guy. It's for two reasons. One is there, there are sort of two poles to, to politicians. There's the, there's the strength and there's the warmth. And they sort of exist on opposite spectrums. They pull against each other. If you think a politician is strong, 
You're probably going to think that politician is also not particularly warm. If you think a politician is warm, that person tends to come off as not super strong. They, they tend to pull against each other. By the way, this also happens to, to be true with regard to dating. This is why women prefer men to be strong and men prefer women to be warm. This is why they've actually done experiments like this. If a man walks into a bar and a woman smiles at him, the guy's immediately attracted because the woman's warm, right? Which is, which is wonderful. And women, by contrast, like strength. If a woman walks into a bar and a guy smiles at them, that means he's either being creepy or he's a wimp, right? Unless he's doing like the Clint Eastwood smile. But in any case, the, uh, the, the, the point here is that a, a certain amount of strength actually starts to translate as warmth, according to studies. So there's, there's what's called the halo effect. You, you know about this. If you've ever met somebody who's very, very beautiful, then aside from me, if you've ever met somebody who's very beautiful, what you assume is that that person also happens to be smart and charming and wonderful because there's a halo effect. This is just how the brain works. You make a snap decision. If somebody is strong, they will appear to be warm to you. Well, Trump appears to be very strong, and thus he also appears to be very warm. Also, Trump speaks at a very low level. What I mean by that is the, li the linguistic level that he uses in his rhetoric is about third or fourth grade. Really, they've done studies on this, as opposed to, say, Ted Cruz, who speaks at a ninth grade level. This is not to say that all, all the Democrats are about seventh, sixth grade level. So Donald Trump is speaking at the lowest common denominator level, which doesn't mean what he's saying is always stupid. Sometimes it is, but it means that he's speaking at a level people understand. That means that they think that he's a no, a no BS guy. They get what he's saying, and so he appears warm to them. And this actually translates. And this is why Trump actually does, I think, maybe have the best shot of beating Hillary Clinton. If you look at the 2012 polls, what you'll see is that there were two reasons Mitt Romney lost. And one of them was not the Hispanic vote, by the way. Don't buy the GOP establishment nonsense that the Hispanic vote is the great decider in this election. You know what percentage of Hispanics Mitt Romney would have had to win in order to win the 2012 election? He would have had to win 73% of Hispanics. 73% of Hispanics. Not 35, not 40, not 45. 73% of Hispanics he would have to win. He'd have to win 73% of Hispanics because there aren't that many Hispanics in a lot of the swing states, like Ohio. There are they're, they're Cubans in Florida, but there aren't non-Cuban Hispanics in large numbers in Florida. Not a huge percentage of, of Hispanics in Virginia. A lot of the swing states are, are not heavy in terms of Hispanic population. So Romney would have had to win 73% of Hispanics to win. He would have had to win 4% more white voters, and he would have had to win 11% more black voters in order for him to win. Either one of those, not both. Either one. Right? So he would have had to go from 6% of the black population to 11% of the black population, or from 59% of the white population to 63% of the white population. In fact, 5 to 6 million white voters did not show up in 2012. Now, even if they'd all shown up, he wouldn't have won because the percentages don't, don't work that way. But the people who didn't show up tended to be blue-collar white voters, people who were described by Sean Trend over at Real Clear Politics as Ross Perot voters. Who is the candidate most like Ross Perot gang? Clearly, it's Trump. And as far as the black vote, Donald Trump right now in every single poll is polling in excess of 20% among black Americans. 20%. Tripling the sort of numbers that, that Mitt Romney got in 2012. So while you keep hearing that Marco Rubio is the path to victory or Jeb Bush is the path to victory, the truth is Donald Trump may have a better path to victory than any of those guys, than any of those guys, which, of course, makes the establishment absolutely nuts. And this is not me endorsing Trump. This is just me saying, as I've been saying for weeks now, that whenever you hear the establishment tell you that they know who can win, just ask them how Bob Dole did or ask them how John McCain did or Mitt Romney did because they don't know what they're talking about. 
Now, today is a Wednesday, and for people who used to listen to my Seattle show, Ben Shapiro, Sean, KTTH in Seattle, every Wednesday we used to do something that I call Deconstructing the Culture. Deconstructing the Culture is a segment where I take some aspect of culture and we talk about how it impacts Americans' daily lives. Because the truth is that you watch this show or you listen to this show, you subscribe to Daily Wire, you go online for your news, you listen to talk radio, but you are a vast minority in the country. Vastly more people in the United States know who Kim Kardashian is than know who Joe Biden is. It's not even close. And the same thing is true of Miley Cyrus, and the same thing is true of Justin Bieber. Culture matters more than politics. Culture has more of an impact on people, especially because culture tends to shape how we feel, and politics tends to shape how we think. And the way that brain evolution works, the truth is our feelings are significantly more important than our higher brain function. Seriously, what, what science tends to show is that actually your higher brain function, which is located in your prefrontal cortex, it tends to, it's a late evolutionary development. And what that means is that you feel something and then you come up with a post facto justification of why you feel that way, right? You feel a certain way and then you come up with a logic later as to why you feel that way. Politics works on your logic centers. What we talk about on the show works on your logic centers. Why Republicans lose, why conservatives lose, they never work on the feeling center. That's because the culture has been completely taken over. Your feeling center has been shifted and changed by the culture. And you can see how this is even infusing into politics directly. Martin O'Malley was on The View this week. And Martin O'Malley, who my wife said the other day looks like a chicken with all the feathers plucked off. But Martin O'Malley was on The View. And his way of wooing the high IQ women on The View was to sing to them and play the guitar and take off his shirt. Well, he did all of them except take off his shirt. Here's what, here's what it sounded like. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. <laughs> you know it used to be bad blood. So take a look at what you've done. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. Hey! hey. Now we got now bad blood. And now we can't solve them. You made a really deep cut. Baby, now we got bad. Before I die. We need to stop that before I die. That's, that's terrible. Um, he can't sing. He can't really play the guitar. But that serves to make him warm to the American people, right? You have a warmer feeling. And all the women, I mean, we, last week on this show, we talked about when Ben Carson was on The View, and he was talking about being pro-life. Okay, look at the reaction of the women of The View to that versus the reaction of the women to Ben Carson. You can see the difference. Martin O'Malley's kind and generous because he plays unbelievably crappy Taylor Swift songs. So that, that means that he's special because culture impacts us. Well, today's piece of deconstructing the culture is not that. Today, we're going to go through a Selena Gomez song. Now, to explain the appeal of Selena Gomez, I think I, I have to quote Lindsay, who does the makeup here on the show. We were talking about this earlier, and Lindsay said that Selena Gomez is slutty 10 years ago, which means that she is super clean now. Right, to understand the appeal of Selena Gomez, like why moms would let their daughters go see Selena Gomez concerts, you have to contrast her with Miley Cyrus. And thank God I don't follow Miley Cyrus on Instagram, but Lindsay does. And so, <laughs> and so <laughs> oh yes, and so, and so Lindsay uh, showed me this picture of Miley Cyrus. Can you bring this up? Okay, this is from Miley Cyrus's Instagram. This is a picture of Miley Cyrus in a bathtub with donuts on her. And... Uh, this is a picture, she, she's actually pasted a picture of her head as a child on her naked body. So she's created what is de facto child pornography, right? I mean, there was actually a Supreme Court case as to whether it constitutes child pornography to slap the head of a child on the naked body of a woman. Well, so Miley Cyrus is doing this, and Miley Cyrus, I mean, we have it over-under bets here at the Daily Wire on how long she lives. Uh, my over-under is five years. 
But Lindsay thinks she'll live to 60 and eventually become all saggy and all of this will just sort of get away from her. But what, what's amazing about Miley Cyrus is that she's so desperately in need of attention because she's pushed the boundaries to the point where there are no more boundaries. And you can't be transgressive when there are no boundaries. You can't be transgressive when, when there's nothing to break. When there are no rules to break, there's no transgression, right? And so it's, it's actually not even sexy. I mean, this kind of stuff isn't even sexy at all, right? There, there's a certain transgressiveness to sexiness, and there's nothing transgressive about... It, it's, this is more akin to a National Geographic shoot at this point, seriously, than it is to anything remotely resembling sexy, especially because she's off her meds, and it's clear she's off her meds. I mean, she's, she's drug-addled. She obviously has problems. And this is what happens to the, the culture chews up and spits out all of these child actresses and child stars because when you become an adult, you have to get naked. That's what it means. Becoming an adult in Hollywood means young girls getting naked. And Miley Cyrus, of course, started off as Hannah Montana. She was clean. She was talented. And then they said, you have to become an adult. And so now she does concerts naked and she wants her audience to be naked too. And you can see the desperation for attention because the more boundaries she breaks, the less we care about her. The more she does to destroy standards, the less we're interested in her. And you can really see it. There's this, this clip that she did on Jimmy Kimmel a few weeks back. And I think it really is telling. Let's play it because this is her dressed up as an Australian fake anchor interviewing people about herself. And it really is telling. Is, I think you can, you can almost see into whatever is left of Miley Cyrus's broken soul in this particular clip. It's time for Eyewitness News. All right, everyone, Janet here with, uh, what's your name? Coral. Coral, here from California. Um, do you know anything about what's going on here in LA this weekend? The, uh, the VMAs, Video Music Awards are coming up, MTV VMAs? Well, I've heard about the VMAs, but I didn't really know that they were gonna come, come here this week. They are. Um, have you heard about who's hosting this year? They've got Miley Cyrus as the host. That's cool, I guess. All right. What, like if you like her. What do you, do you like her? What's your opinion? No, she's not one of my favorite. Now, what, what do you what do you not like about Miley? Is it that her, you know, her shocking kind of, it's, you know, um, all kind of cheap to me, really? Really, her style what, what's, and her what dad. Do you, like about, you don't I, love I her just, dad? I just, don't like, I just don't like her whole family. Oh, I, really? Do you have any opinions on her? Maybe what you think about her? Well, Molly Cyrus, when I knew her, well, she was only a, a, a child. Most of us. I mean, all of yeah. America. That's how we got to know and love yeah, her. Yeah, because uh, what, what is her father's name again? He's the one I was hey, crazy about. What's Miley's father's name? What would you say if, if Miley Cyrus was your daughter? Do you have a few kids or if they were acting like Miley Cyrus, would you have any thoughts? No, no problem. I just like Taylor Swift better. What would you say about Miley's music? Would you say it's just kind of too... Never heard it. Never heard it? All right. I actually heard that she is going to be hosting the show new. Um, what do you think about that? Uh... I would love to see that. Oh, you I would? Think you kind of look like her, actually. You know, that's actually why they hired yeah, me. They threw yeah. me in from Perth, and I'm here right now. I'm kind of freaking out that I'm on Hollywood Boulevard. Do you think... Okay, so you can pause it. So what, what actually happens, this goes on for about five minutes. And as you can see, what, what they wanted was for, for her to go out there and get strong reactions from people, right? They, they wanted her to go out and say, what do you think of Miley Cyrus? And people go, oh, she's a terrible slut. Right? Oh, she's just awful. And, and instead, the only people she can find on Hollywood Boulevard, of course, are people who just don't give a damn. Right? And, and what happens as that clip goes on is you can see her becoming increasingly desperate for the attention, like super desperate to the point where she's trying to jab people so that they'll say mean things about her. At one point, that, that last guy that you saw there, she actually gets him to look down her shirt. She goes like this and says, you know, look at my blank. And then, she, and then he does. And this is supposed to be funny. She's so desperate for attention because she's broken all the rules. Well, so if you take Miley Cyrus, who is 
completely destroyed her life, is is desperately broken soul, in need of attention at all times, and eventually the attention runs out because there's no point in paying attention to somebody who's just got no boundaries. Boundaries are, are important in, in why we pay attention to you because otherwise you can't transgress them. So what that leaves is on the other end of the spectrum, Selena Gomez. So Selena Gomez has a new song. It's it's topping the charts right now. She posed naked on the cover of, of her new album, I guess, but but it's it's sort of Hugh Hefner tasteful nude routine. And and so she she has a song called Good For You. And she too was a child star. Here is Selena Gomez from her time on Barney, if we have that. I'd like to think of something I never thought before. If it doesn't happen right away, I'll think a little more. Okay, now we're going to do I'll something sit. incredibly sad and cut directly to what Selena Gomez is doing now. So you got the low-rent pornography photo shoot going on here. Okay, so a couple of things to note, first of all, about, about Selena Gomez. So she's more clothed than Miley Cyrus, which of course means that she's basically a nun in today's world. And and beyond that, one of the one of the things that, that you'll also notice is when I say that they transition from star to slut, and this is part of what Hollywood does to people, it is imperative that this happen, right? This is, she became an adult. She's only an adult. This is what's so amazing about what the left has done to the culture, right? Being an adult means having no responsibility and acting terribly, and being a child means being responsible and doing your homework, right? Children are treated like adults, and adults are treated like children. Children are given responsibility over adult decisions like sex and abortion. And adults are given no responsibility, and they're not, supposed to, they're not supposed to take basic responsibility for themselves. And what makes her really an adult and what makes her a responsible human being now is the fact that she is, is going to get even more naked as this video goes on, and she's going to sing about how she wants to be good for you. And by good for you, she means that she wants to basically be the stereotype of what John Hamm wanted in Mad Men. This is how far the feminist movement has taken us. The feminist movement has now come all the way full circle. It used to be that commitment was required of dudes. Now she's, this song is literally basically about how Selena Gomez wants to be a dude's sex slave. Right? I mean, if you play the lyrics, that's what it is. Right? First of all, she, she's, she's kind of starring in a brand of, of drug-induced music. There, there's certain music that just sounds, I've, okay, we'll do an informal survey. I'm not going to name names here. How many of you have smoked pot in the room? Okay, so we've got one. And... <laughs> we can cut that out or bleep it out. I don't really care. But we, we, no, no. <laughs> but the the it's not rare, of course. The fact is that that a huge number of young people at some point have tried pot, and this has become. There's a study today that says that that actually regular pot smoking has doubled in the last in the last few years in the United States. There's a whole brand of music that has now really come to the forefront. That is, I'm so sorry. The last two days have been real rough on you, dude. Um, the, the, there's a whole brand of music that has come to the forefront that is, that is very, um, that, that is drug-induced. is with the heavy reverb, with the, with the constant pounding of the music in the background. Tovlo would be a good example of this if you ever listen to, to her music, which is all about how she, she has to stay high all the time to keep you from my mind. Oh, oh, oh. And, uh, <laughs> and so <laughs> it, the, you'll hear as we continue to play this for just a minute more, you'll hear what this music is and, and why it is, it is, 
pro, pro, this is the clean one, okay? This isn't Miley Cyrus. This is the clean one. And why is promoting messages that are really damaging to young girls? And girls are just eating it up because, of course, this is what guys want. Girls, note to you, okay? It's not hard to determine what guys want. Food and sex. That's it. Okay, they don't want anything else out of life. Those are the two things that they want. Okay, and if you provide them these two things, then they will be happy until they decide that they can get better food and better sex from someone else unless you require commitment from them. This is why marriage is a good institution. It requires commitment from men. Okay, so here is Selena Gomez not stumping on behalf of marriage, but stumping on behalf of de facto sex slavery. Let's do this. So don't, so don't Gonna wear that dress you like skin tight Do my hair up real, real nice And sink up, pay my skin to your heart beating Cause I just wanna look good for you, good for you Uh-uh I just wanna look good for you, good for you Okay, so if you've, if you've never seen, if you've never actually seen any 1970s era pornography, this basically is what it looks like. Seriously, like there's there's almost no difference. And having written a book called Porn Generation, I can guarantee you this is exactly what it looks like. like the soft core through the shower, the the glass shower with the rain running down, and she's naked, but the the camera's just placed here so that you don't get the full boob shot. Right, that's the idea. And the lyrics to this this piece of drag, right? The the lyrics are. Gonna wear that dress you like, skin tight, do my hair up real, real nice, which is brilliant lyricism, by the way. Tight and nice do not rhyme, but that's beside the point. Also, you couldn't come up with a two-syllable world for real, real, like perhaps very. And syncopate my skin to your heart beating. Okay, that doesn't even make sense. But then she gets to the, the, the catchphrase, right? She says, I just want to look good for you, good for you. Uh-huh, I just want to look good for you, good for you. Let me show you how proud I am to be yours. Leave this dress a mess on the floor and still look good for you, good for you. Right? And the whole thing is about how women are catering to men. I thought the entire premise of the feminist movement is that women weren't supposed to cater to men. I thought that was the entire premise. But now we've come completely full circle. See, this is a woman who's in She's empowered now. Sure, she's going to be tremendously unhappy. Sure, none of this is going to lead to anything that looks like a long-lasting relationship that, that generates happiness. But and, and by the way, you can tell this because if we, if we let this play for a couple more minutes, what we would eventually get to is a rap interlude by somebody who calls himself ASAP Rocky, which I assume was, I can only assume was his given name. He came out of his mother and she said, I shall call you ASAP Rocky. And he, and he was like, okay. Um, and uh, where he, his actual rap later on, he says, hold on, take a minute, love, because I ain't trying to mess your image up. Like we mess around in triple cuffs. Somebody's going to have to illuminate me on what that means unless we're talking about handcuffs. Stumble around town, pull your zipper up, pants sag like I don't give a, F word. I ain't trying to mess your fitness up. I ain't trying to get you into stuff. But the way you touching me in the club, rubbing on my miniature John Hancock, the signature. Anytime I hit it, know she feeling it through. Now, I can't imagine why guys would have a very shallow view of women based on music like this. I just can't imagine it, where women say, I want to, I want to look good for you, and then the guy raps about how he wants to rub himself on her. I just can't imagine why men would think that women are making themselves available. I, it's, it's, it's beyond me. Why wouldn't they have tremendous respect for a woman's intellectual significance as a human being based on songs like this? This is why your culture is actually impacting your kids. And don't fall for the moving standard that Lindsay so rightly described. Don't fall for the moving standard that says that just because Selena Gomez is better than Miley Cyrus, therefore she is clean and okay. She's not. The entire culture has just shifted so far to the extreme that Selena Gomez, who right here is doing stuff that was really no worse than what Britney Spears was getting bashed around for in 1998. Right now, she is considered the clean alternative to Miley Cyrus. The culture continues to degrade. And if conservatives don't engage with that culture, understand that culture, and most of all, create an alternative culture, 
and make sure that their kids actually participate in that alternative culture, then you're going to see more Martin O'Malley's get elected just for singing idiotic Taylor Swift songs. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So... I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 